This podcast is recorded on stolen and unceded Aboriginal land. We acknowledge the First Nations and elders of this country and we join their calls for justice. Missed you. Missed you so much. Missed you too, lassie. Oh, I what miss your that? little face what and your funny that? voice. Are you oh. just doing? <laughs> I was going to say this? to be sure, to be sure, but that's, that's <laughs> the wrong one. <laughs> I'm in Scotland, everybody. I'm in Scotland, uh, but I still care about the Greens. So I'm chatting to Emerald on Serious Danger. You couldn't tell. That was a pretty good Scottish accent. I knew it Come was on. Scottish, but I thought you were quoting a movie because I don't. I, and I thought I was missing something, and I sounded stupid, but it was actually you that sounded yeah, stupid. Yeah, I was quoting Fat Bastard in the Austin Powers movies, clearly. Oh, okay, so you were quoting a movie. See? That's what I meant. <laughs> I knew I knew it was a movie. I could tell. Um, I lied. Every, I Actually, first, just first up, I want to address something. Um, mm-hmm. I've misled our listeners, and I'm deeply sorry. Tom was not in Europe last week when I told everyone that he was in Europe. I lied. Uh, yeah. He was in Canada, which is way less interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Canada's great. I was in little Montreal in French-speaking Quebec. Oui, Quebecois. Oui. Oui, oui. <laughs> and did all that. I'm huge in North America now. Wow. Log, log that. Check that in. Now <laughs> I've come to dominate the British comedy scene at the 2023 Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Tickets still very much available for my show if you want to come. Do you think there are people listening who are going to jump on a plane and, you know, come on over? Maybe. Uh, the- wait, 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 I've got a good segue. Maybe if they could get into the chairman's lounge, <laughs> they may. And so who knows? Maybe Anthony Albanese's son will be joining you at your show, Tom. <laughs> He probably gets free fucking flights as well. I mean, this yeah. made me so angry. And of course, this this story should make you angry anyway. But also, in my travels, I flew from <laughs> Melbourne to Sydney, Sydney to LA, LA to Montreal. Bus, club, another club, another club, plane, next place. No sleep, no fear. Nobody believed in me. LA to Montreal. Okay, that's a very short flu. So getting to America, that's the big tough thing. And then you think getting LA to Montreal, that's relatively easily. In the course of that five-hour flight, Air Canada manages to lose my bags. I've been without my bags for two motherfucking weeks. And meanwhile, (laughs) the Prime Minister's son, Nathan, is living it up in the Qantas Chairman's Lounge. What the fuck? Do you think that his bags have ever been lost or they don't? They only, that's like as you can pay for the privilege of not having your bags lost and you didn't pay that that special fee or you didn't get gifted it because your dad's not Prime Minister maybe. Well, no, I think this is a political attack. I think Anthony Albanese mm. talked to Alan Joyce and said, Oi, that Ballard Greens motherfucker a real he's serious flying danger. all over the place. He's a real serious danger. Okay. <laughs> he, he's teaming up with the Noalition to try and, <laughs> to try and destroy housing for poor you people, which housing? I generally care How about. about. You block the delivery of your bag. How about that? <laughs> Had you heard of the Chairman's Lounge? Did you know of its, of its existence? I mean, I'm a Quantum uh, Club member, so no, we kind of get like, a few briefings on these kind of things. But um, I, get conf- I, I thought it was just you. like, <laughs> I thought it was just the normal lounge because I know that the politicians all get to go into the lounge. But right. this is a special special lounge within the lounge, the VIP section. Well, there's Qantas Lounge, there's Qantas Club mm. Lounge. And then mm-hmm. there's business lounge, and mm-hmm. then there's mm. uh, there may be even be first, and then there's chairman's lounge too. Oh, so it's like wow. the best of the best. And Anthony Albanese's, according to this piece in the Australian Financial Review, the official paper of record for the Serious Danger podcast, 
Uh, he, this 23-year-old son, Nathan, who has no qualifications. He's just, he just, I guess, just graduated a, a business degree or something. And he's been hanging out in the chairman's lounge and it's a bloody disgrace, I tell you. Hmm. Does he live with, does he live at home? How old is, wait, how old is this child? He's 23. And he, because didn't Albanese was said, we're very close, we live together or something. Because, you know, housing crisis, it's hard for young people to, to find a home sure. like people living with their parents. Someone yeah. should do something about this. Well, maybe he meant that he lives in one of the houses that Anthony Albanese lives in. One of Still paying rent, well, of at course. Market rent. Market cool. rent, though. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't even raise it during COVID, only afterwards. <laughs> Talk about the Greens. That, funny, that bunch of idiots. All this is a performance by the Greens. This is a show from the Greens. They're pathetic and they don't stand for anything, really. We're stuck with the hosts of Chapo Shithouse podcasts. Serious danger in Australia. Well, it's good to be back on this Serious Danger, a podcast about Greens politics in Australia. I am Tom Ballard. Thank you so much to Esther Vale for filling in for me last week, doing a fantastic job. Shout Yay. out. That's very fun. It's not an official Greens Party podcast, FYI. It is made possible with the help of the Green Institute and produced by Michael the Griff Griffin. This week on the show, we're discussing the recent revelations about even more dodginess in Australia's already evil offshore detention. <laughs> if you liked Australia's offshore detention regime, I've got some terrible news. It's actually really bad. <laughs> Yeah, your fave is problematic, we learn <laughs> this week. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to be the first ever podcast to discuss Donald Trump. This Donald Trump guy, any good? I don't know. I don't yeah. Know. yeah, breaking. And we're going to discuss whether he's going to be going to bad president jail. Thank you to our beautiful new patrons for jumping on board. Patreon.com forward slash Serious Danger AU. For just three bucks a month, you get bonus content and you support the show and you make us happy. Give us these names, Emerald. Who have we got on board? Uh, we've got Alice, Adriano, Alex, Luca, Linda, Matthew, Kobe, Alberto, Justin, who has become a Patreon member four times. So, like, liked it, cancelled it, liked it, cancelled <laughs> it. Like, I don't know. what What's going on between us, Justin? I, I hope you're okay. I hope we're okay. I hope we're okay. I assume that it was more a technical problem <laughs> rather than him getting disgusted with some content and then being real back I in. Don't know. I, don't know. I don't know. Let us know, Justin. We love you. Please stay. I guess we'll never know. Um, we are going to talk about that other stuff. Obviously, the housing debate continues, the bullshit. Mm. Uh, you guys touched on the double dissolution question last week. This thing is now going to be reintroduced in October. There was questions that were going to bring it back earlier, but now it's all been pushed off back to October again, which yeah, is what to we when were we already on delayed it yeah. to. Yeah. Oh, boy. So there'll be much more to say there, but we should mention this insane piece of news, and I think you know more about this than me, but um, some insights into the housing policy of the Queensland Labor government oh. and just finding out exactly <laughs> what affordable affordable housing actually means well, to the good people actually, of the Labor Party. This came from Victoria first. I'd heard um, about the fact that when I think the Victorian Greens, I think Gabrielle de, de Vietri has been looking into this um, and found that the definition of affordable housing uh, from Victorian Labor was actually just housing at, at market rate, no more than what the market a- rate, which is good to hear because we all know how well the market's going, right? Um, <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> very reasonable, very reasonable. Uh, but then, yeah, this week, so Queensland Labor announced its new Southeast Queensland Regional Plan um, with with local governments, which is they they've set themselves targets for how many homes are going to be built, nine hundred thousand new homes by twenty forty six. Kind of like when the federal government was like, we're going to build 
there's going to be a million new homes or whatever, but it turned out they were just saying that's how many homes we would like someone to build maybe, who knows. Total, okay. Uh, But one of the other things that they said in this plan is that they would like 20% of those new homes to be affordable. That's... It sounds pretty impressive, right? And, That's you know, great. the Greens have been calling for inclusionary zoning. We thought, is this an inclusionary zoning thing where you mandate that a certain percentage we've said should be 25% of new developments should be public housing? Um, but uh, the policy, not so much. Stephen Miles, Deputy Premier, gets in front of, of media and in extrapolating upon what this might actually look like, he used a lovely example. To give you a sense of what that might mean, a nurse on an average salary of about uh, $90,000 would need uh, to pay less than $520 a week in rent for it to be considered affordable. A nurse on $90,000 a year, first of all, I, I don't know if many if most nurses are on ninety thousand dollars a year, but sure, even so, that's you know, like ninety thousand dollars a year, they would be paying more no more than five hundred and twenty dollars a week in rent. And he says, you know, I don't think that it's too much to say that a nurse on ninety thousand dollars a year shouldn't be paying more than five hundred and twenty. We you know, we won't apologize for that. It's the right thing to do. Vibes. <laughs> it's the right thing to do. <laughs> and I think everyone was sort of everyone was like, wait, wait, hang on. 520. So, but then, yes, yes. So, you know, as they they keep talking about this policy, they keep saying it's like that they're going to have rents at market rates um, and that maybe they'll be affordable. But then to be eligible for these affordable homes, usually you have to earn less than that. And so there's no real, yeah, it it turns out that people can be paying, you know, 40% of their income on rent still, which is absolutely not affordable. And they're like, that's what we want 20% of housing to be. 20, that's the 20%. So then- the vast majority, so the other 80%, it's like, fuck, <laughs> what, what's that going to look like? Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, and he's sort of just reiterating that, you know, how oh, 95% of people are in the private market and therefore, and nothing can change mm. that, of course. Nothing Clearly, Labor has that. no interest in changing the mix of housing in this country mm. because, of course, outsourcing everything in the private market has worked out so well. So we've got to maintain that and the market will provide market rights. Well, it's because the Greens are blocking public housing. Yeah. So that's why. That's the problem. It's not. Yeah, yeah. They're blocking public housing because they're asking for more. I don't know. It's all confusing, Tom. I can't keep track. Well, we're too dumb. We're not smart like the Labor Party. (laughs) We also had an email from Anton. You can email us anytime on the pod, hello at seriousdangerpod.com. And you touched on the double dissolution last week. But Anton was wondering, you know, do you think a double dissolution would harm or help the Greens and the minor parties? Mm. I know the historical precedent would say harm, but I'm less inclined to think the same thing would play out in modern politics. I mean, you touched on this last week with Esther, and you were sort of saying that even if the makeup of the Senate changed, it would probably be work out in the favour of some crazy batshit minor parties who would be far less amenable to, you know, investing more money in any kind of public or social affordable housing. But, I mean, I don't know. Have we considered the possibility that if there were a double, double dissolution the Greens would do better? Is that Do we have polling that suggests that or what, what do we think? I know there have been a lot of people kind of, you know, better sophologists than I have been breaking down the numbers and looking at what the results of a double dissolution could potentially be and I haven't looked at them in detail but it feels as though most people are saying that the likely result would be about the same ultimately in terms of who has the balance of power in the Senate between Labor and the Greens as as it right. shakes out. Um, and But I think it's very, yeah, I certainly think it's not beyond the realm of possibility that the Greens would do better. I think it is It is truly fascinating, you know, as, um, as Anton points out, that ABC and other media are, 
kind of just accepting that a double dissolution would be harmful for the Greens or it's a threat to the Greens. They uncritically, in in addition to uncritically continuing to report that this is a a fund that would build 30,000 homes, um, but uncritically report that, you know, the Greens are doing okay in spite of blocking housing or, you know, (laughs) that, yeah, maybe they could weather the storm of the electoral impacts of blocking housing. As though, as though that's actually a thing that's that's happening, and not you know they're not actually galvanizing a significant sect- section of the electorate um, because they're fighting for housing. <laughs> if we had an election soon, wouldn't a big issue of that election be why the fuck are we having this election? <laughs> Just uh, run it yeah. through me again, because you wouldn't, because yeah. Labor wouldn't want to do anything more for renters or for more housing. Is yeah. that exactly why I'm going to the well, polls again? Is that why you take up another one of my Saturdays right now? <laughs> I mean, obviously, um, Labor would push the line and it seems like media might uncritically roll it out for them that this is because that we're going to an election because the Greens blocked housing. But I really, I just don't think that people are stupid enough to buy that. Bloody oath. Well, and um, Anton says, if it came down to a double dissolution, I know I would be rolling up my sleeves to knock down doors and convince people to vote green, which is funny coming from someone who hasn't been very politically <laughs> engaged until the last five or so years. As you Hell should, yeah, comrade. Anton. Yes. Yeah. Hell. Yes, please. Love it. The sociopaths who run fossil fuel corporations on this planet who are literally destroying the lives and the futures of billions of people and their sociopathic agents in this chamber and in the other place in this parliament have got a lot to answer for. And what they've got to answer for is death disease, displacement, starvation, people dying of thirst, arable farming lands turning into desert, and most likely billions of people dead by the end of this century, and the collapse of the ecosystems that actually support all human life on this planet. That's what people like Senator Canavan have got to answer for, and he can sit there and smirk and laugh about it as much as he likes, but history will regard what he has said and done in this place as an utter disgrace. This paradisical planet, this beautiful, beautiful planet, this complex, awesome web of life is dying. And what is it going to take for people like him, for people like the Labor Party, for people like the opposition in this place? What is it going to take for them to act? How many people are going to have to die? before you will divorce yourself, divorce yourselves from the sociopaths running fossil fuel and forestry corporations. In breaking news this week, bad things are happening in the offshore detention scheme. Uh, what? This week, yeah, I'm really no. sorry to let you know, Tom. I know you've been a big supporter. You're a big fan. Uh, <laughs> but we've got some bad news. This week the government announced finally, after months of kind of scandals growing around uh, particularly Nauru but contracts with offshore detention, uh, the government announced there will be an investigation into this particular case in Nauru. Now, what's your understanding? How closely have you been following this kind of these scandals as they develop? To my great shame, not very closely, to be honest. I think maybe I don't want to say scandal fatigue because that seems pretty dismissive, <laughs> but I guess I suppose like the worst of the worst that we know about Nauru and Manus Island, we know it's been exposed and you know, having followed that story and those horrific scandals for quite pretty closely for quite a while over the past couple of years. 
there is a point where you kind of see a headline and you go, of course, of course something horrific happened yeah. in these places. Of course something dodgy happened with Australia's relationship with these places. We know the hundreds of millions of dollars that have been spent over years um, to dodgy private companies to operate these things and the kind of cruelty they visited upon some of the most vulnerable people in the world who we have a legal obligation to protect. So, you know, yeah, I certainly can't be shocked in this area, but I must say I'm not across the details of this this latest scandal itself. Yeah, and I think it's also, yeah, like it is complicated. It's, you know, chains of, of business dealings and particular figures um, who are tied up with all of these contracts and, you know, in the department, um, in Papua New Guinea, uh, Nauru, Manus, et cetera. Uh, and so it's easy to be like, this is too complicated when I already know that the whole thing is fucked. But yes. the, <laughs> the, the particular issue that, uh, that we're having that's prompted this investigation, the timeline begins roughly, you know, well, okay. So if we go to t- between 2015 and 2017, Bojani, which is a, a figure in Nauru, paid more than $100,000 in bribes to government officials for favorable favorable deals on mining contracts for his other companies that he runs. So this is a businessman that uh, runs clearly a bunch of companies, including mining as well as accommodation, hotels. Um, Meanwhile, in 2014, 2016, and 2018, the Department of Home Affairs had entered into three different leases worth more than $30 million all up with Bojani for offshore detention facilities. So they're like, you have hotels? Great. Let's put some asylum seekers in there. Right. Um, I mean, and yes, this is where it's like, first of all, how great that we are paying $30 million to anyone, let you know, ultimately billions of dollars to these private mm. companies um, to lock up asylum seekers offshore illegally. That's that's a good start. It's, <laughs> it's good to be so reminded. Good. It's a good <laughs> reminder that we did that. Yes. And yes, mm. and that's interesting, the private sector's role in this too, because of course yeah. we know that the Australian government gave shitloads of money to the Nauruan government as well. Mm. And look, Nauru was an extremely poor country with a history of being exploited by major powers over a long period of time. There have been accusations of corruption of the Nauruan government on a very regular basis. And, of course, we know that in those relationships, the human rights of people seeking asylum were never uh, first and foremost amongst people's concerns. And when people could benefit from the offshore detention regime continuing by bringing investment and money into their country, of course, yeah. you know, you're not going to get an honest broker there. I do remember lots of accusations of racism whenever anyone was sort of saying, hey, maybe this situation in Nauru is, is fucked up. It's corrupt. Um, there was always a little bit of like, you guys are racist. You can't. You don't wow. think that mm. people of colour in Nauru can operate their own torture regime? Pretty fucked up, yo. Yeah, yeah. People of colour can run, yeah, torture regimes too. That's really fucked up that you said they couldn't. Um, and actually, yes, women can be involved. Who knows? Maybe there are women involved. Would that incense you, Tom? Would you hate that? I would hate uh, that. <laughs> but going back to, yeah, Bajani, who is a man and, you know, hopefully next Maybe we'll see more women involved with this. Um, who can say? Uh, but <laughs> there, are, there are these three leases, right? 2014, 2016, 2018 for accommodation for asylum seekers on Nauru. The 2018 lease is the one that's particularly contentious that has been the focus of a lot of reporting recently because it emerged over the last few months. Um, a lot of reporting in Nine Fairfax around this, but also it came up in Senate estimates that. Bojani was under investigation at the time that the 2018 lease was signed by the Australian government. And then during estimates was when we, we found out that not only that, 
But apparently Peter Dutton, who was the minister at the time, had been briefed on the fact that Bajani was under investigation one month before the contract was signed. And this is then one month later Bajani was was charged. Um, but this is this is a point of contention because Peter Dutton claims that he doesn't recall this briefing and that there's no record of it. So, I mean, do you think that he's just straight up lying? What what do you think's going on there? Who said that they briefed him? The department, uh, the Department That's of Home Affairs question. said that he was briefed. So it's the AFP during during Senate estimates. The AFP responded to to questions on notice and said that they briefed him. Right. Okay. Yeah. And he has no memory of that whatsoever. He gets a lot yeah. of briefings all the time. You get briefings at uh, dodgy international businessmen that the Australian government is doing business with by the AFP on a regular basis. He yeah. can't be expected to keep track, for God's sakes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's very, I think it's certainly one of those ones where he's like, well, I don't recall. And it's like, maybe you don't because it was just another day in the fucking office for you because you're an evil, evil man who does evil, evil things, allegedly. Uh, <laughs> again, I mean, like, again, we should we should do the investigation of this. But, again, the dodginess of the businessman involved in this project is not the major issue with this project. The major, the major thing, <laughs> issue is torturing fucking refugees on a prison island for fucking well, I don't care if the person doing it has an unblemished record, okay? That's the question, right, though, is, I mean, yes, we have got all this reporting and all this hoo-ha that's not actually about that. That's kind of the underlying, you know, thing everyone, it's the aside, right? It's like, yes, this is a contentious scheme to start with because of all the torture and the, you know, self-immolation <laughs> and the fucking suicide yes. and the, yeah. Um, but, but no, it's, it again becomes this political theater of who knew what, when, who was right. involved, who can get reprimanded. Um, you know, we'll probably get more into this. In the Trump discussion, it's like which which bad guy can we uh, indict instead of actually right. undoing the system, but but the, it, it is a systemic issue. And Dutton leans on this. He says, "Fine, you know, go ahead, investigate me, see if I care. In fact, mm -hmm. I agree. You should refer the allegations to the NAC if you want. The you know new National Anti Corruption Commission. Um, the department had also said that it should be referred to federal police or NAC." Because, I mean, Dutton says, well, it's fine. I don't make the decision. The, the minister doesn't make the decision. It's the department, um, which is just, I, it is so funny that we're even still keeping up the pretense of like the minister doesn't make the decisions for the public service. Like this idea that we actually have a frank and fearless independent public service is so cute. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> <laughs> knowing everything that we know about all the other various scandals. Yeah, Jesus Christ. Yeah. And, the, and the minister, and right, so ministerial responsibility doesn't exist either. But doesn't, doesn't that, doesn't <laughs> yeah. ministerial responsibility mean that anything that they say that means that it is their responsibility? Oh, I don't know. I mean, he's, I guess he's like, well, I didn't directly make the decision, so I'm not directly corrupt. But yes, Westminster Convention would um, say that if he oversaw bad things happening, then he should fucking take responsibility for it because he's the minister. But, yes, so returning to the timeline, quickly he, yes, they say that they briefed him. A month later the contract was signed. A month later Bajani is um, charged and then he is convicted in August 2020. But after this point, when obviously it's very clear that he's corrupt, he's been convicted for, for bribery, um, the government continues to pay millions of dollars for the contract. Uh, the contract, mm. this is a contract that's worth almost $18 million. Whoa. And maybe, okay, maybe they were stuck, you know, contracts, you know, you sign a contract for your phone and you can't get out of it. It's really hard. You get locked in there. Maybe the government had done this too. Maybe they didn't read the T's and C's. It's not their fault. 
Uh, <laughs> wrong. That has we've been disabused of that notion because again, um, following Senate estimates, the department well in okay in Senate estimates, the top department explicitly said after they heard about the charges, they sought legal advice, but quote did not have a right to terminate the accommodation agreements. But then this week we learned that that's not actually true. The Guardian reported that each of the contracts have a termination clause which states, quote, the department may at any time by written notice terminate this agreement or reduce the scope of the services immediately for any reason. <laughs> <laughs> like that's about e. as easy as it could possibly be to get out of yeah. this and yet they kept paying him. Great. Well, they just got invested in small businesses, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right, you know. Yeah, so it seems it, it's unlikely that this is the only sus contract and nine, nine Fairfax reported on this as part of a series of investigations or they report they were reporting on AFP and Oztrack investigations on all of these contracts that kind of ultimately funnel millions of, of taxpayer dollars from the Australian government and from home affairs to Pacific Island politicians. Uh, a lot of the time it's contracts going to businesses that, yeah, have very close links to political figures, things like that. Um, I, I mean, I guess, again, yeah, I'm curious as to why this one in particular has got much more attention than those other contracts. It seems like the broad that broad system of all this money going to potential, like, you know, questionable contracts, et cetera, uh. is not the focus. It's Peter Dutton knew about this one corrupt guy and I can't help but cynically be like this is a classic thing where they're like, well, if we say it's just these two guys who have been corrupt, we can uh. deal with the two guys and then pat ourselves on the back and feel like we've solved the problem. But, and also I just have memories of, you know, stories about a company being given massive contracts and then it turns out their P.O. box is like some some random house in the middle of nowhere that was, mm. you, do you know what, Paladin Paladin something? Paladin, Paladin. Yeah, Paladin, yeah, that's right. one of the, yes. the companies that's kind of within this whole story, yeah. Right. These just insane, tidy, yes, almost shell companies or companies that have no experience whatsoever being given huge contracts, often not competitive at all, not being put out to tender, just getting the huge lumps of money, just any money whatsoever, mm. just desperate for companies out there to torture refugees. Please, we have a yeah. labour shortage. We just need honest, fair dinkum uh, companies to come forward and help us with our torture regime. <laughs> so please get in touch with the Australian government as soon as you can. We just, we'll give you yeah. millions of dollars. Have you got an entrepreneurial spirit? Do you yes. uh, not have a soul? Um <laughs> 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 We've got an opportunity for you. I, mm. I think it is, yeah, like a lot of the, the offshore detention stuff, the whole fucking idea of it is out of sight, out of mind because, yeah, yeah Australia doesn't want to deal with, doesn't want to look at the problem of people from war-torn and dangerous regions um, fleeing for safety, asking for, you know, assistance uh, they and being denied and so we lock them up somewhere else and, again, yeah, we, you, you know, we don't have to – we don't want to look and deal with the, the corruption that's happening over there. We'll just kind of, you know, and, and maybe as soon as it involves this guy that we don't like here, Peter Dutton, um, then it's a problem and we should deal with him. But, yeah, it's so sort of, I don't know, it's very narrow-minded um, in a way. Do, do you think that anything useful or good will come out of this investigation that's been announced this week? Well, I mean, I only raise those other the, the Paladin example is just again mm. another example of something that bobs up is in the 
public consciousness briefly. Um, people are outraged for sort of bizarre reasons or for the wrong reasons, or we say it's a, it's a shit show. Nothing ever happens, and everybody moves on. So I, <laughs> once again, my cynicism is brought to these kind of investigations. I can imagine a current Labor government going hard on the decisions of a former coalition government in this space, while throughout the mm. entire time recommitting themselves to the yep. vital importance of operations sovereign borders. Yeah, yeah. I think that the investigation does stretch back to when Labor was in power and so it would look at the actions of the um, Labor minister in Home Affairs at the time. Uh, but, yes, it very much does seem to be focused around Dutton and this particular and Bajani um, in Nauru. I mean, I, I, was one, I was wondering, yeah, like is this useful because it provides an alternative motive in the public imagination for for offshore detention, this idea that, you know, this is driven by it's it's there are financial reasons that we continue mm. to lock people up. It's not nothing to do with the safety fucking bullshit reasons that the major parties will will trot out, that it's actually because people uh, are getting money from it. And I think that that ordinary people people understand that. And that could help shift the perception of this. But then again, I mean, it's unclear what the kickback is for the Australian government from all this. They're the ones who are handing out millions of dollars um, to, you know, funneling money to, to corrupt um, businessmen and, and politicians. But, yeah, the benefit for them is really just that weird fucking cooked political incentive that they truly believe that the ordinary Australian uh, wants to see refugees locked up indefinitely. So, yeah, I mean, I put this in the long tradition of fucking Western governments turning a blind eye, actively funding some of the worst human rights abusers in the world to serve their own foreign policy interests or domestic policy interests, you know, including throughout the Cold War. America backing coups to overthrow democratically, democratically elected leaders, mm. um, again, dealing with some of the worst cunts of all time and turning a <laughs> blind eye to their various human rights crimes if it allows them to defeat their own often left-wing enemies that yeah. they want to defeat and they can portray as the worst monsters of all time. Uh, that's happened so many times uh, across the world over the 20th century into the 21st and Australia's collusion with Nauru and the PNG governments mm. on these same fronts is no exception. Have you heard what the Greens want instead? Ooh, Have revolution? Mm, Royal Commission, so close, the R word. <laughs> so close. <laughs> the hard R, okay. The, God. Yeah. They want that RC. They always want that RC. Uh, yeah, yeah the Greens have for some time been saying that, you know, this deserves a Royal Commission. Obviously they're saying, so Maureen Faruqi, um, I think a couple of weeks ago, said on this, quote, the Prime Minister must establish a Royal Commission which examines the entire cruel history of our immigration detention system as well as this latest home affairs scandal. So they are saying, you know, it's not just this uh, incident or this particular connection or, or series of contracts that should be investigated. It's the whole fucked up system uh, and hoping that, you know, I guess that that brings out more uh, evidence that can be used to build the case to end offshore detention, similar approach to the the kind of robot thing in shore. Maybe, maybe that would help, but I just, yeah, I can't help but think that, you know, we have seen so much fucking cooked things come out of this this entire scheme we've seen you know the Nauru files we've seen the 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 diaries and and the medical records and and the reports of horrific horrific things happening in these centers and we know that they're wrong and 
it hasn't helped so far. So yeah, yeah. I'm, I am a bit of a skeptic, but. Sure. The Australian Human Rights Commission do a report into it and the mm. coalition's response was to demonise and drag Gillian Triggs through the fucking mud mm. right? and, and hound her out of public life. Um, yeah. yeah. It is kind of crazy we never had a royal commission into children overboard or the tamper crisis. Yes, like not even the really, Rudd Labor government true. tried to introduce that when they won, got in 2007 yeah. or whatever, you know, back yeah. when they briefly showed, you know, showed a, a level of humanity and a different approach to, to the boat people issue, so to speak. But um, yeah. Look, I mean, it is it is an absolute travesty and a scandal on the scale of something like you know Robo Debt, and mm. we have extraordinary amount of blood on our hands as a nation. Um, so I guess I would be like, sure, I, I endorse the principle oh, of I having a royal commission not, but <laughs> about yeah. the immigration detention center, but I can't can't see it happening. You don't even know what you're asking me to confess. confess. You have nothing. I don't have to tell you anything at all. If I can prove that I never touched my balls, will you promise not to tell another soul what you saw? No one else was in the room where it happened. Is that a yes? I, you just touched your ball. Have you heard that clip of Trump saying I did everything right and they indicted me? No. Okay. It's so good. Can you I did good- everything. I'll do it in French. I will insert the clip now. I did everything right and they indicted me. I did everything right and they indicted me. Is that your Trump impression? I don't think I have a good one. He's very good. He's a good guy. I did the best. <laughs> I've never tried before, actually. I'll have to work on it. I'll come back. Because we haven't covered Trump on the podcast before, so I haven't had any need to practice my Trump impression, but I really should have prepared. We haven't done much, much Trump chat at all, really, have we? Isn't no, because I don't care. But here we are. <laughs> Go on, tell me more about that. You don't care about Trump or US politics or the whole, or the, you think there's enough Trump chat out there to... There's definitely enough Trump chat out there. That's indisputable, absolutely. Um, But, yeah, I do find the whole thing just a little uh, exhausting, boring, useless, et cetera. And I, yeah, this is my cynical, maybe I'm being too cynical this episode. I need to be a little bit more hopeful and, you know, maybe it's a really galvanise people and no one will ever do bad things again. Uh, but the the whole yeah the liberal kind of orange orange man bad stuff doesn't doesn't do it for me. I guess that's really it. Were you invested in the Bernie Sanders campaign? Were you following U.S. politics around 2016 and in the years since? Were you much invested in that? I was not. I did not understand politics in 2016. I did not know. Yeah. You know, I barely knew how voting worked. So no. <laughs> <laughs> but obviously, in the years since, I have kind of. Uh, retrospectively become invested in in and heartbroken by that like so many people have been um mm. i think as well yeah i think i maybe part of my reluctance to for, get into the whole trump thing is because i think for a long time people in australia have spent too much time focused on american politics thinking that mm. yeah like rather than australian politics rather than what is happening on on home turf and that kind of mm. frustrates me i think mm. um so that's probably part of why i tend to block out a lot of trump stuff but i will say i think he's a very funny guy i think there's a lot of he's funny right of, like, yeah. we can agree on this that he yeah. says it does things that are that are absolutely funny. that account that like posts old trump tweets great yeah. comic relief so you know <laughs> yeah good content 
Well, he's back in the news this week, although you could say he never really left never because not. we do talk yeah. about him every fucking day. Uh, this week, Donald Trump was criminally indicted for a third time. Congratulations, Donald. Wow. Is that a record? Three, three times in for one year. President? It is certainly for a former president, yes, big time. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Just to recap on his previous work in this area, back in March he was indicted on money laundering charges in New York. That was uh, paying Ooh. hush payments to Stormy Daniels before naughty, the 2016 naughty. election. Very naughty. Trump. A little bit of sex scandal. Stop. And that actually made him the first ever former US president to be criminally indicted. So first oh, one straight okay. out the gates. Wow, he really, big. you know, he's a trailblazer. He's, a, he's original. No one else like him. Say what you will. In June, he was indicted in Miami over his handling of classified documents at his Mar-a-Lago resort. That's yes, also this a very one funny I, story. <laughs> this one I understood, like I followed a little bit just because the whole thing was quite funny. Um, how there's like there's re- the recordings of him being like, this is so confidential, guys. I can't show you this, but I'm going to show you a little bit. But don't, this is so, I really can't do this, guys. But look, look here. These are so confidential. Look, look at my fans. <laughs> fans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. Plus, he's got some other legal troubles on the go at the moment. He's currently facing two civil cases in New York, one involving okay. alleged alleged business fraud. This this lady, I think, wants to ban him from doing any business in New York for the rest of his life, which would which would truly break <laughs> him, I think. So that would be a good one to see go through. Uh, the other one involving defamation um, against E. Jean Carroll. This is the woman who um, took him to court over a civil case around rape, uh, rape ac- uh. accusation. The court found that he was guilty of sexually abusing her. They they stopped short of actually finding him guilty of rape, mm. but said and on that's the balance in a of probabilities. Or? That's a civil matter. Yeah. yeah. So the burden yeah. of proof was different, and yeah. yeah, it was sort of defamation or money, money monetary proceedings. But then after that case, she's arguing that he then defamed her, and so she's taking him back to court over that. He's also currently under investigation in Georgia over his attempts to overturn the 2020 election results in that state. Mm. That's when he was on the phone saying, hey, please find me some votes just to sort (laughs) me out and get me over the line. You know, he's he's committed. He is committed. Um, But, yes, so I didn't realise this is a separate thing to all of that. It is hard to keep track of the indictments, to be fair. When I heard that he had been indicted, I was like, oh, for the the." Um, confidential documents thing, but no. That other stuff. No, this is a third one, baby. He's pled guilty, not guilty to all this, of course, but the third indictment, and most people saying, like, this is the big one, this is what they should have gone for first, this is the most important okay. one. It's in relation to Trump's attempt to overturn the results of the 2020 election, um, right. which, of course, led up to, that campaign led up to the uh, scenes on January 6th in 2021 when Trump supporters stormed the Capitol. Some people threatened to shit on Nancy Pelosi's desk there was the shaman guy some people died it was pretty fucked up mm-hmm. and the indictment sort of relates yes to the insurrection itself but also to the whole campaign from election day all the way up to january 6th mm-hmm. and 7th when they were uh, going to certify the electoral results in um, congress that whole campaign and that long campaign of telling a whole bunch of lies about what happened in the 2020 election boom he got indicted for that Okay, yeah. This isn't, yeah, January 6th, I, because like I don't remember where I was on 9 11, for example. There aren't many other days that in his, like historic events that I can remember. Oh, mm. I remember hearing the news about that. But January 6th, I actually really distinctly remember, yeah, waking up and because I was staying at my dad's and like going downstairs. To, to my dad's and he had the radio on and just being it was a very strange feeling in the air like to hear that news it felt very um very big I don't know do you remember it I do I can't possibly remember where I was really but 
Certainly, maybe, maybe with in my fam- with my family, I think mm. over the summer break, yes, and I think that news coming through just feeling very surreal indeed. But then yeah. also not really being totally sure about what what went down. But what was happening? Yeah, yeah, seemed pretty fucking crazy. Mm. So he's been charged with four felony charges: conspiracy to defraud the U.S. That's the repeated and widespread lies to spread these false claims about the results of the 2020 election. Mm-hmm. The prosecutor saying like. He knew that this was a lie and he repeated this information. Yeah. He has a First Amendment right to challenge the results and to go through the court system, but he went further than that. Conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding, that is the campaign to stop the certification of the electoral results. Mm-hmm. Conspiracy against the rights of citizens, this is interesting, relates to a Civil War era law that applies uh, to Trump and his co-conspirators' alleged attempts to oppress, threaten and intimidate people in their mm. right to vote in an election. So, Okay. Seems hard to prove that, like, in relation to what's happened after an election, but sure. I guess so, yes. And whether it would also involve the special election in Georgia afterwards as well around that time, Mm. I'm not sure. Obstruction of and an attempt to obstruct an official proceeding, that is Mm. what they're saying, that he and these six other unnamed co-conspirators planned the Jan 6 rally to try and stop that official thing. They're saying he planned the rally as opposed to just encouraging it. Yeah. That's interesting. Well, he would tweet out things like, hey, be here on January 6th. I'm yeah, going to be there. I guess People that come is planning down. in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Some of these charges carry penalties of up to 20 years in prison, oh, uh, which could be pretty big. And then, yeah, there were these six co-conspirators. They haven't been named. We know who most of them are just by their description and some of the other information about them. They include Rudy Giuliani and Trump's lawyer, Sidney Powell, who is mm-hmm. woo. <laughs> But they're great characters. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Official legal term. Yeah. When handing <laughs> down the, the indictment, US Special Counsel Jack Smith said the attack on our nation's capital on 6, January 6, 2021 was an unprecedented assault on the seat of American democracy. As described in the indictment, it was fueled by lies, lies by the defendant targeted at obstructing a bedrock fun- function of the US government. So uh, does Trump still claim, like, he still says that it was stolen, right? He is he still saying that openly, or is he just hinting at it like he likes to do? You know, for example, when he nods at, at QAnon. I'm pretty much sure he's still on board the steal the stolen election. It was stolen yeah. vibe, yes. And to some people, he is still the correct president of the United States. Mm. And uh, he sort of said, "Well, they got away with it this time, but elect me in 2024." Not next and time. We'll fix it all again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It. Yeah. Mm. So I suppose, do you care is my question. Do you care about this? Do you care about the preservation of sweet American democracy, a democracy in which the person (laughs) with the least amount of votes can still become the president thanks to a holdover from the slave era in which um, states' rights were protected over the the expense of actual democracy? I I don't know. How how much invested are you in this this, uh, achieving justice and holding Donald Trump to account? I don't know. I mean, I think like the the take that that I had heard, I was talking to a friend about this and and he was more like there's the the fear that Trump getting indicted or sent to prison just feeds the um conspiracy theories about there being a witch hunt against or a conspiracy against Donald Trump uh and would help to further radicalize and embolden his supporters to fight even harder for him and potentially in more violent, dangerous, et cetera, ways. Um, And, like, I think that is probably the most significant, I guess, take or or issue that I have with it. And otherwise Mm. I do, I really do struggle to see it in any way 
um, more real than it, like watching a, you know, watching a show. Like it's it is almost like dramatic or comic relief from real life is like, oh yeah, and is that that crazy Trump stuff still happening? I mean, a level of remove is probably good. I used to be like, I used mm. to follow US politics really, really closely. I did get mm. seriously worked up about it, invested, but I think these days I'm much more like, I could do nothing about this stuff at all. Yeah. I, you should just watch it like a TV show. The only political effective action that, yeah, you and I can take is very much Australia based. So, I mean, you know, just, just maintain a sense of, of healthy distance uh, across some of this stuff. Mm. Certainly the data would back up this opinion that, at least these indictments in no way discourage support of Trump. And, in fact, yeah. he is still overwhelmingly the front runner in the Republican primaries and mm. it's not even fucking close. After his first indictment, his support amongst Republican voters jumped from 43% to 50%. Mm. In the four months since then, he's gained another 10 points. Wow. He's beating his main rival in the Republican primaries, Ron DeSantis, who was supposed to be, you know, the version he's of Trump. with further right, was like right? a presentable one. Well, yeah, I mean, you would say on a whole bunch of certainly so cultural issues when it comes yeah. to trans rights and have been waging this war against trans people and the woke left and critical race theory in Florida. But Ron DeSantis was supposed to be the Trump guy without all the embarrassing Trumpness. Yeah. Um, Trump is crushing him by 30 points in the Republican primaries right now. Yeah, like wow. it's not okay. even close. And this was insane. This is from the New York Times. In a head-to-head contest with Mr. DeSantis, Mr. Trump still received 22% among voters who believe he has committed serious federal crimes, a greater yeah. share than the 17% that Mr. DeSantis earned from the entire GOP electorate. So there's this huge MAGA base that think he hasn't done anything mm. wrong, but then even amongst Republican voters who are like, yeah, he probably did do some crimes, I still want him to be a Republican president well, and but- I prefer him to that Ron DeSantis fucking weirdo. This is the fascinating thing about primary elections like uh, in the States that, you know, we don't get to see this stuff play out apart from, you know, on a very tiny scale in Green's pre-selections in yes. Australia and I guess, you know, to an extent um, pre-selection for the other other parties but they're not actually democratic. Um, but, yeah, that it's not necessarily about who they would like to be president. It's who mm. they think can win. And so there's mm. this kind of like meta, it's, it's, a, it's a view of what people think of other people, which I think mm. is what's fascinating and what the, yeah, majority of the Republican Party members seem to believe is that more Americans will vote for Trump. Whether that means they think Trump is a better president, I would actually hazard a guess that they probably don't necessarily, but they think that, yeah, he can capture the American imagination and i yes why i think primaries are interesting is because they they give that insight into like political brain and people who are who are involved in politics are always unfortunately to some extent removed from reality and from ordinary people uh, and i wonder if they're right on this i guess I guess so. Yeah, it's interesting that now you could say Trump is like the electability candidate because he did fucking yeah. win, right? He did actually win. Yeah. But I also think this base, my understanding of it, is that these are not people who are invested in the Republican Party. They're not invested in politics whatsoever. They are all about Trump all the time. And mm. all these other challenges in this race, Ron DeSantis particularly was trying to ride the Trump wave. But, of course, when Trump is actually running, he's got no chance. Right. Why go for Ron DeSantis when you can get the real thing because Donald fucking Trump is running. So, so you may as well. Uh, they're like, are they like anti-Trump competitors in the primary race? 
Mike Pence is running for the, the nomination and is trying to, I guess, in some ways define himself. He's, he's trying to walk the line as like celebrating the legacy of Trump, mm. but also critiquing him, yeah. particularly in the wake of these new indictments. And I suppose certainly as someone who his role in ratifying the results of the 2020 election alienated him very much from Trump's base. In fact, people who were storming the Capitol <laughs> on the January 6th were saying, we should hang uh, Mike Pence. We should actually kill him and yeah. string him up. So they're He's not big traitor. fans. Yes. yes. And he represents yeah, it- the old establishment Republican part. And perhaps perhaps there are interesting, par- you know, usually kind of hesitant to draw parallels between the Republican Party and the, you know, coalition in Australia, but around that kind of lost, that sense of, yeah, like a, a lost identity or a confused identity beyond just pure culture war politics. Yeah. Um, and, it, yeah, all they seem to, like there doesn't seem to be a genuine alternative that they've figured out for a conservative or right-wing um, political party that isn't just like extreme, quite radically uh, right-wing and, yeah, like that that Trump brand. Uh, there's there's no kind of alternative to that. And, I mean, perhaps that is because the, the Democrats and, you know, in Australia, Labor increasingly occupy that kind of centre-right liberal space. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, totally. Where else are you going to go? I mean, what is what is interesting to me is that at least in 2016, you could make the argument, you could kind of squint, and this is what the, a lot of the analysis was, right? Like America was so fucked that they didn't want more of the same. That's what Hillary Clinton represented. So people yeah. were either sort of going for someone like Bernie Sanders or Donald Trump, someone who was going to call out the bullshit mm. of the system and who spoke to people's material concerns in a country ravaged by neoliberalism. So he was running on things like we're going to bring the coal jobs back, right? We're going to yeah. protect your jobs and we're going to take on China. It seems to me that now, and I guess there's still a long way to go until the 2024 election, but there's just nothing. There's just there's no not policy. There's not that long to go, Tom. There's, there's not long to go. That's, that's true, next that's year. <laughs> it is next year. Yes, you would hope some kind of policy would emerge around about this time. But, like, it's all just at the level of culture, right? It's all about wokeness. Mm. It's all about groomers. It's all about this kind of insane, mm. the woke left is coming to fuck up your family. He's still saying make America great again, but, of course, we have no idea what the hell that means. He said that America was great when he was president, of course, even though it was a fucking shit show. But it's just it's just like all that idea of Trump representing any kind of actual meaningful right-wing populist agenda that, that I think you could kind of make an argument for is 2016 has seems to have completely disappeared and his entire political project is about, you know, finding justice for himself and about him rectifying and owning the left and not saying anything about making anybody's life any better, you know? Well, but perhaps that's a result of his legacy and it's kind of almost like that perverse side of the anti-politics coin where, you know, uh, there probably is... Um, I, I would say he's right that a lot of people in America don't no longer believe, if they ever did, that the government yep. can improve or will improve their financial situation because they will promise that and it was yep. a lie. It didn't happen. Yep. And so perhaps, yeah, they they take the stance that there's no point even pretending or promising um, that we will reduce the cost of living or, you know, we'll, we'll make healthcare affordable, we'll give you, you know, we'll secure your job, anything like that, um, mm. because no one will believe it. And so just go for the culture war shit, go for the social right. issues, the stuff that's just going to get people riled up because that is all politics has become because no politician has been willing or able to improve people's material situation, which is deeply mm. depressing. <laughs> Fucking hell. Um, of course, the funniest outcome 
is that Trump gets convicted, goes to prison, still wins the nomination, and I believe he could still be elected president from prison. Um, there is an insurrection charge that discounts him from uh, holding public office, but he is uh-huh. not getting charged with that in this indictment. So my understanding is that under these felony charges that he's getting here, he could still win and become president of the United States. He would then, of course, immediately pardon himself and he'd be all good to go. But you can't even, so as I understand it, you can't vote from prison in America, but you can be president. Yes, he he could be disqualified from voting for himself, but he could become president. But he could still be president. Wow. Cool country. (laughs) Very normal and good country. That is so bizarre. I would love to see it. I wouldn't. It will be bad if Trump is president, of course. I should say that. Yes. But, you know, I don't know. <laughs> be funny for him to be running for the, running running the election from, uh, from a prison cell. That would be pretty amazing. Eugene Debs, very famous socialist in American uh, political history, uh, was imprisoned. I forget what exactly what charge. I think it was something fucked up for being left-wing, I think, and uh, <laughs> did run part of his presidential campaign from inside a jail cell and, yeah. uh, and did okay for a socialist in American okay. politics. So there Hey, you know, it's not about the candidate, it's the movement. So <laughs> I'm sure, yeah, Adam Bant could uh, run a campaign from, from prison, um, as he should, and, you know, more power, more power to him. <laughs> more power to all. You do hold the bigger, biggest megaphone in the country, though, and you do have the money to create incentives, which is what the Greens are actually asking for you to do. They're not asking for you to determine state policy, but rather to incentivise it. So before you get... Well, they are, actually. Well, right, yeah, they want, they want a billion, <laughs> they dollars, they want a billion dollars on the for... table that you can then, no. like the, the states can then use to incentivise it. But the question, I, I wouldn't Waleed, mind getting an answer to the Steve. The problem with that, Waleed, is that we put $2 billion on the table for states and territories in June. No, no, they but, must have but specifically that. on the question... And as a of result caps. of that, so, that so was an is, incentive. This is to incentivise no, rent caps. So, that so, was an incentive. Sure, not for rent caps though. So I'm just interested no, in, in that question. that was an incentive that's... for planning. Yes, for that's planning. What we need to do, so, sorry, the Prime key Minister, is I, not I just rent get, caps. I just the key you, is fixing okay. planning. This is the point I'm interested in. Are you philosophically opposed to the rent caps and the idea of capping rent increases? Are you philosophically opposed to that and therefore well, won't use your megaphone for what, it? What a... What I want to do. Now, Wally, that's not the question. Hey, remember trees? What? Uh, (laughs) Well, now that we've saved the reef, this is one thing. I mean, obviously we we won't go into it, Tom, but I'm sure you were really pleased to hear while you were overseas that the reef, it's been saved. I was so happy about this because I was really worried. I was actually really worried about the reef, but Labor saved it, so that's really good. It's all sorted. Yeah, yeah. Um, they convinced the World Heritage Committee not to list the Great Barrier Reef as in danger on their, um, you know, World Heritage listing thing because they're like, no, no, we 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 ended the climate wars. Um, Isn't we- that exactly what the coalition government did and everyone <laughs> lost their fucking minds? Yeah, and Labor was like, wow, it is so fucked up that the coalition <laughs> is like lobbying the World Heritage Committee to to not do this even though they're shit on climate. Meanwhile... Labor is literally just like approving new coal and gas as they Ugh. are like, we saved the reef. You are welcome. Thank you, Nemo. Yes. Oh, uh, it's extremely cringe, obviously. Like it's, yeah, I mean, it just goes to show. It's like these fucking committees, it is a bit of a sham. I guess maybe you could say, well, the process highlights the inadequate, like it, it puts more pressure on the government to do more on the reef, but how much pressure if you are still going to say, okay, that was enough, even when they're still approving new coal and gas. 
Um, and it's like, okay, so so according to the World Heritage Committee, the reef is not, quote, in danger. According to scientists, the reef is, quote, fucked. Could um, be an issue. Yeah. <laughs> so it is in danger. Uh, but, you know, the environment also includes the, there's the sea, we've saved that, and then we've got the land. Um, so we're working on that one. Thankfully, mm-hmm. Bob Brown, our mate, uh, that we did, we did a special Patreon episode. If, if you're on Patreon, you would have heard our review of The Giants, the film about Bob Brown and also trees. And he is organizing this three days of action to defend the giants, the trees, I guess, in that instant, not necessarily him. I don't think we're defending Bob Brown at these. Uh, but they've got, they've got forest actions, MP office actions, and then a bunch of rallies across the country. There's heaps and heaps of locations for the rallies that are on the website already. This is from the 10th to the 12th of August, so basically broadly next weekend or, yeah, from what that Thursday until Saturday. How's my dates? I think that's right. <laughs> uh, you, you can uh, go along to, to a local event or I think there's even if you want to, you know, jump right on in and host one in your small town, if there wasn't, isn't one already, uh, head to defendthegiants.org forward slash events. There's like volunteer sign up links there as well. We'll put the link in the show notes. And then just a quick reminder, the following weekend, I think we, I'm sure we will come back and chat about the Labor National Conference, which is coming up the weekend after next. Um, but if you are going to be in Brisbane Mansion for that, Griffith, Ma- Max Chandler Mather's office and the Brisbane Renters Alliance, I believe it is, are hosting a, a rally for renters and public housing outside the National Conference. That's on the 19th of August. We'll put the link to that in the show notes too. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Go to SeriousDangerPod.com for all your Serious Dangerous needs. Follow us on social media at SeriousDangerAU and mm. get in touch anytime. Hello at SeriousDangerPod.com. Love right. you. Love you. Bye. Tom needs to go to sleep. Goodbye, lads and lasses. Yeah, it's like very late for Tom. Right. I need to go to sleep. If he hasn't performed well, very well, <laughs> blame it on that. He's sleepy. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Serious Danger Australia.